Welcome to the Programmatic Digest, a podcast dedicated to review industry headlines and trends in the programmatic and digital ad tech world. I'm Ellen Parker, your host and Chief Programmatic Sensei of Ellen Parker Consulting, where we offer customizable training in programmatic media. This podcast has been sponsored by WorkReduce. If you want to reimagine how to work in advertising, check them out at workreduce.com forward slash careers. All right. Welcome, everybody, to Programmatic Digest Podcast. I am your host, Ellen Parker, and I have some amazing guests today on the pod. If you're not watching this on YouTube, you should, because we have Kelly and Maya, some friends of mine from the Women in Programmatic Network. Ladies, how are you doing today? Brilliant. Good morning. How are you? I'm great. You know, it's it's just great. It's spring here and everywhere else in the world should be, right? Mm, that's our friends in Australia who <laughs> may be experiencing autumn <laughs> or the fall, as you guys call it. But yeah, us in the Northern Hemisphere are all experiencing the glorious spring. <laughs> yeah. Hi, Helen and Kelly. It's absolutely wonderful to catch up with you guys. And I'm so excited to be on this uh, podcast. And uh, I'm from India, so, you know, uh, quite far away from you guys in terms of distance as well as time zones so oh, and we have come here so yeah oh, wow. so nice. that is really cool and um so today in this episode we're going to talk about diversity and inclusion and equity um women in leadership mentoring you know you name it um but before we get into this conversation maya and kelly i'd love for you guys to introduce yourself maya how about you you uh lead the way and Introduce yourself, tell us who you are, what you do, and maybe a little bit about your journey. And then Kelly will get into yours. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I'm Maya Venkatesh, currently working in the programmatic space with Affinity Answers. Uh, you know, I head uh, the APAC region uh, you know, for the business. And um, I'm also responsible for business development uh, in this region as well. Uh, in terms of my journey, yeah, I'm a cost accountant by education, oh. but worked in you know diverse uh, fields, uh, primarily operations, uh, you know, seeding and growing uh, new organizations. Uh, I have worked with large MNCs like Ford Motor Company, Accenture, uh, where you know I've managed uh, large uh, you know business units. And uh, after about 25 years of working, you know, I decided I needed to take a break and, uh, you know, just doing some consulting work. And that's when, you know, uh, I came across, um, you know, our CEO and COO from Affinity Answers while I was on a trip to U.S. So it was just a casual uh, meeting and a conversation. And, uh, you know, they wanted me to join them. And I was like, okay, I had never, ever worked in marketing and advertising nor do I know anything about data and uh, <laughs> actually have a team who are completely data engineers uh, and, uh, you know, we are a data science company primarily. So we model our audiences on, uh, you know, social insights uh, and, uh, yeah, it's been close to four years now with them. And I think, you know, I've really, I'm still learning the programmatic space, but yeah, uh, it's been a good journey. That's amazing. Four years is like at least 10 years in digital world. (laughs) Yeah, you learn to pick up things fast. And especially if you are selling, 
then you better pick up things fast right because <laughs> you if you need to you know do business you will be you need to be you know on the top of your game now let's take a quick break to hear more about our sponsors our sponsor work reduce is the secret weapon used by the market's top agencies and brands their specialist talent and media services help brands and agency grow and scale faster One of the fastest growing services offered by WorkReduce is their service desk. It provides flexible on-demand media buying, ad operation, and analytics support. Many of the world's biggest brand and agencies use WorkReduce in time zone service desk as an extension of their in-house media team. With an easily deployable operation playbook, process automation, and a high-quality reputation, their service desks will provide the expertise and precision to take your digital operation to the next level in 2022. Covering ad trafficking, campaign setup, QA, optimization, and campaign analytics, your internal resource focus on the activities that count the most while WorkReduce Service Desk takes care of the rest. Check out WorkReduce.com for more information on their ad operations service desk and tell them Ellen sent you. Now back to the episode. Oh, man, it's fast because we're in RTB. That's why we're like moving 100 milliseconds at the time. So <laughs> That was a bad mom joke, everyone listening. And I'm really excited I said it out loud. <laughs> so Kelly, give us the honor of uh, a quick intro before we get into this very exciting conversation. Oh, hi, I'm Kelly Jacobson-Collins. I work at Bliss as their Privacy Compliance Director. I'm also our DPO. Um, funny that you're saying my about accounting because... I went to university because I wanted to become an accountant or work in the city. And when I was studying in America, another coincidence, I did an advertising bar. And after that, I decided I wanted to work in advertising, which led to um, me joining an advertising agency. I've worked in advertising media tech for mm-hmm. 25 years. And I moved to specialize into data protection and privacy about three and a half years ago, in 20, well, four years now, 2018. Um, and it's been a really fascinating journey. So it's funny the parallels how life takes its twists and turns. Yeah, yeah, this is interesting. Okay, so you were you were in the US um, on a, I guess a personal or leisure yeah. trip, right? So a semester, a year abroad. It was part oh, of my okay. degree. Okay, and I did. It's slightly different to mine. So I did like a year abroad, um, studying at Penn State University. Okay, and. I did this advertising class and I just was like, oh my God, I don't want to go work in the city in London. I want to go work in advertising. And so I spent my final year at university applying and applying. And I got my first job as a TV buyer at PhD. What? Oh, okay. Yeah. So from um, buying TV to her erratic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> change. That's so cool. Uh, so my journey is literally just marketing. Uh I always knew I wanted to be in marketing. I saw my mom. Um, she was um she was in marketing for the longest time. So I saw her like, getting dressed with heels and then the big bulky like presentation walking, and I was like, that's really cool. So I was really excited by graphs because back in the days they had to actually <laughs> do them. <laughs> yeah, we didn't have presentation like PowerPoint or you know something else. Um, so she was the biggest in- uh, inspiration for marketing. And then every time there was a movie about a marketing exec. I was always like, yeah, I'm going to live in a big city 
and then be that person. Uh, and then I ended up in the digital advertising world and programmatic advertising. So um, yeah, nothing exciting about this. Just straight up, always knew I wanted to be in here somewhere. Uh, but thank you so much for the intro because I like to hear somewhat um, part of everyone's journey. And I think everyone identifies and describes uh, themselves the best in their own words. And mm-hmm. so um, thank you for, for being transparent. So before we get into today's conversation, though, I usually ask to define if you had to explain programmatic advertising to a five-year-old or uh, eight-year-old, we're going to get in the middle here, uh, what would it be? But you are both in very data-centric uh, roles. So Kelly, can you give us, um, if you had to explain your day-to-day or what you do to an eight-year-old, what would you say? So I have an eight-year-old. Oh, great. Well, so his <laughs> argument is always like, why are you not doing what I want you to be doing, mommy? But um, when I explain what I do, I say, you know, when you go on the internet and you're playing games or you're on YouTube, my job is to help make sure that the right people know what you're doing and not the wrong people know what you're doing. So that the people who know what you're doing have permission to know what you're doing. And then I do also encourage the children to kind of think about what they're sharing and where they are online. They have quite a lot of freedom, but um, it, it's it's important to kind of help educate them from a young age about what's safe and what's not, not safe to do and what they need to share. That is really interesting. And what is what is his, uh, you say you have a son, okay, so what is his reaction when you say that? <laughs> Helping so people get it. control of their online experience. What does he say? Does he just be like? Okay. Yeah, and then they kind of then actually my oldest, but this is a slight digression from programmatic, but it fits with privacy and security. So my eldest son is 11. It's the final year at primary school in the UK. So he got a phone. And I was suddenly thinking, oh my gosh, there's a whole world through your phone, right? And he's joined WhatsApp. He's not on social networks, but I can't control what other children are sending him. So I, I started to have that like, Isaac, when you're on your phone, you realize like, People might send you something you shouldn't see and what you're going to do. And he was like, oh, but they already told us this at school, mummy. Like, you can't send pictures of your private part. You know, this whole yeah. discussion, like, it's great because our educators are doing this in tandem with us because it's a whole new world for all of us. Privacy, yeah. security, protecting children, you know, which is part of what um, the regulations are for. Mm. You know, it's really cool because, okay, so when you said you can't send your pictures of private part via the Internet, it took me back to the early 2000s when we Ooh. had those, uh, the, 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 uh, the camera that you just like use one time. I can't remember the name. Oh, like the Polaroid. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That. And then um, I remember taking pictures that were sexy, right? But we were just like, yeah, fully closed. Yeah. Just doing this the whole time and then printing it and handing out to a boy or something. But it was a picture of yourself. I think it was a picture of yourself. And back in the days, I felt like that was very, uh, well, at least in my circle. and in my, It was in very my, risque. Yeah, yeah, it was really right. risque to give your picture to a boy. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And it, and actually, it was like not even a Polaroid. It was like actually cameras that you will print out somewhere. And oh, right. So you literally print it. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so that's my little story of the day. Uh, one of them. There's probably <laughs> many, um, but Maya. Okay, so Maya, how would you explain an eight-year-old what you do on a day to day? 
Uh, yeah, on a day-to-day. So I would tell them probably that, you know, uh, when you watch an ad on TV, yeah. making sure that it's the right ad that you're watching and it's, you know, of a health food or, uh, you know, a chocolate that you love. There is somebody who's making sure that, you know, they're putting the right ads in front of the right people, right, which is you. Or if you're being, you know, prompted to watch a cartoon show uh, on Netflix and uh, that's only what you're allowed to watch, right? So again, that's what data does at the background where uh, it is able to identify, uh, you know, the right things uh, to be watched by the right people. So, yeah. I mean, again, I think it brings in that aspect of privacy that Kelly just spoke about, right? Yeah. Doing yeah. the right things and not being exposed to the wrongs. Yeah, um, I was just going to ask ask you, does, does that little kid would ask the following question, follow-up question, such as, like, how do they do that? How do they make sure that the ad I'm seeing is the one I want to see? Yeah, and that's where, you know, um, kind of what our data does is it helps mm-hmm. to segment people. So we kind of divide people into groups. So there are the parents, they are, you know, the kids uh, at a certain age, uh, you know, they are probably, uh, you know, br- again, brand marketers. Yeah. So how do we really, you know, divide these people into groups mm-hmm. and then show them the, you know, uh, right stuff? That's really interesting. I think, <laughs> I think that's really interesting. I love to hear the people's definition because we all understand things differently. And I'm still gathering my book of definition because I am convinced that I'm determined. That's the challenge I put on myself to explain this world <laughs> that we live in <laughs> to somebody and uh-huh. then to get, a, oh, yes, I get it now every time. So I usually get it. I usually get, um, I'm going to say now one out of five people that I explain programmatic advertising to that don't know anything about the mm. industry. I get, uh, I get the, Oh, okay. I think I get it. But like, I'm determined to not get those anymore. So I'm writing down all of your answers, ladies. Thank you. That's that's such a familiar expression. Uh, Yeah, when we uh, talk about programmatic and data and, you know, we do this and this is how we model audiences. And then at the end of it, uh uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this seems cool. It's really interesting, right? You're not sure really understood it or <laughs> along. Yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh. Talking about interesting topics or rather topics that are maybe confusing to some and shouldn't, we are going to cover DI, right? So I pulled up a definition on Z interweb. And I thought it was really, really a good definition. So diversity, equity, and inclusion to those that are confused or don't know is a term used to describe policy policies and programs that promote the representation and participation of different groups of individuals okay including people of different ages race ethnicities abilities and disabilities genders religion cultures and sexual orientation and um, I thought that was a pretty good definition, and I pulled it from Tech Target. Um, so anybody that want to look it up, just Google it on the, the, the Google, and it's the Tech Target definition. Um, but I thought it was really great because it gives us like the full spectrum of the diversity of its own. And um, so I wanted to, I was excited to talk to you ladies because 
it's still a big thing uh, in the industry. I mean, the last two years, unfortunately, it's became sexier. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was just reading an article on Digiday, actually, where it was a creative agency owner here in the U.S. I think he was based in Atlanta. And he was saying how work got picked up. It got so overwhelmed because everybody wanted to work like here in the U.S., at least with like a black owned or female owned or whatever owned. Um, And so things got really, really picked up, but the relationship was not there. And they actually had to like take a break and say, no, we're not going to continue doing this. Like It has to be done for the right reason. And so I'd love to hear about your perspective on DEI. Um, not so much like, um, not so much to, to, let me rephrase this. I'd love to hear your perspective on DEI and how maybe you are a promoter of DEI. Obviously, you are in the Women in Programmatic Network. And so that says a lot about you and about your values. But for those who don't know their values, like, why is it so important? How can we encourage people to do it more? Um, you know, I heard, oh, I was on some network the other day, I think it's LinkedIn, and I saw in a comment people saying like, oh, well, we've been, we've been looking up DIY, DIY, DEI, sorry, DEI, not DIY, which is do it yourself, please. <laughs> um, but yeah, basically there were DEI. I-ing, no, DYing DEI, right? They're trying to do it yourself. And so at some point, when do we when do we stop trying to figure out things, you know, on our own and actually hire somebody to do it? Um, so so I always want to hear other people's perspective about what diversity represents for them. So Maya, why don't you lead the way and tell us what is what does it represent? Yes. So Helen, uh, you know, you had this good definition, right, of diversity and where we talk about different genders, race, ethnicity, you know, social, uh, sexual orientation and stuff. Uh, But really, you know, when uh, we talk about diversity, I think I would really like to focus on the diversity of thought. Okay. Uh, Okay. How diverse uh, thoughts you know, each individual brings to the table, I think that really contributes to a lot of innovation, right? So uh, each person, you know, so when we say we have a diverse workforce, uh, it not only means in terms of gender, right? You know, like we have equal representation of men and women. It's not necessarily only that, but also, like you said, you know, different races, different ethnicities and so And each of them, I believe, from their life experiences, bring in really diverse thoughts uh, to the table, right, which really helps uh, the organization. So how do we promote that? Uh, Of late, you know, uh, I mean, recently I am hiring uh, for a new role uh, in business development, and I started off writing uh, the JD uh, in a very traditional manner, right? You write Oh, you know what, this many years of experience and uh, uh, who has done this, who has, you know, agency and relationships and stuff like that, right? Because that's, you're thinking purely from, okay, what this role needs to do. But then I realized that, you know, and this was a statistic I read somewhere that women generally, generally women, uh, when they look at a role, right, if they meet 100% of the checkboxes, then they really apply, right? They never want to settle for lesser. Whereas, and this was just a statistic. Oh, really? 
Okay, so I'm gonna take the next 30 seconds to let you know about the Reach Frequency, which is a course you have asked me for, okay? And I've spent a lot of time crafting every single lesson just for you. Why should you even consider? And then I'm already pretty aware of what's going on for my advertising. I love your podcast content. This is where I'm here. Cool, great. But you may know somebody that really wants to learn about programmatic advertising and don't know where to start, right? Most likely you've received training via your current job or via a previous job, right? You work for an agency, you work for a partner or a vendor in the industry, and they provided uh, the, the training, right? Is that how you got here? Well, did you know that that's the, actually the only way to get training nowadays? Like if for any one of our friends in the digital marketing world, it's really hard for us to, for them to really learn anything if they don't know who, where, and, and, and really what to look for. So the Reach and Frequency course is geared for those people. It's going to take you from zero to 100, from fundamentals to how to run a successful programmatic media campaign, how to run a successful department if you wish to be a leader or lead a department in programmatic advertising. The Reach and Frequency course is for you. Okay, we talk about we talk about anything from fundamentals. We talk about anything from who are the key players in the industry. But the biggest thing is that I give you my recommendation, my feedback, my guides. I was a trader. I was a buyer for few for eight plus years, right? And I led teams. I led teams of buyers. So I'm really, really, really good when it comes to running a programmatic advertising strategy, implementing, executing, optimizing, and reporting on, and then selling some more. I'm really good at that. So yeah, you can probably get most of this training out there. Great. Don't only stop at with my course. Continue training because that's 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 what it's all about, right? But what you won't get anywhere else and you'll get with me is all of that experience I've been able to gather, you've been able to implement. Like this is an interactive course for you to learn anything you should know about programmatic advertising, whether you're already working in it or you're trying to work in the industry. So check out the Reach and Frequency course brought to you by me, your very own programmatic coach. I'm very grateful for this experience that I've gone through the last two years and I'm here to teach you everything that I know. Check out reachandfrequency.live, reachandfrequency.live, and now back to the episode. Yes, that's 100% true. I, yeah. Honestly, honestly, honestly honestly, I totally like that. That was the opposite. I'm sorry. I was. I used to be like, if there's one thing I know how to, ah, I'm going to do it. Applying, but that's that's, but that's how it should be. Oh, that should be right. Oh, so you did the right thing, Helen. So, but you know what, men, sixty uh, percent. If they meet sixty percent of the requirements, they would immediately apply, right? So then, uh, you know, when I read that, I found it quite interesting, and I was like, okay, you know what? Why go by you know years of experience and stuff? Okay. So I reworded it as, uh, you know, if you have done project management end-to-end, ideation to implementation, right? Doesn't matter. You could be somebody who's just done it for two years. It could be somebody who's done it for five years. Let's talk, right? So that's how you bring in, you know, uh, various aspects uh, to a role into the organization. And you, I think you need these diverse uh, sets of people to really, you know, achieve a common goal of the organization. So I think diversity in terms of your thinking is something which 
any organization should stress upon right uh, and literally i think diversity all diversity also forces people to innovate mm. so tell us you, right you you mm. are looking like you said equity right being equitable mm-hmm. how do you do that right how did you get the right opportunities rather grab the right opportunities and yeah we could have a diverse set of people but i think those folks who come to the fore uh, you know who create visibility for themselves they are the ones who also you know, kind of succeed i think uh, my own example so in terms of diversity right so you know in india so 30 years back is when i studied okay and um, you know just at home uh in india of course it's not like that today but several years before it was always considered the privilege of the male child you know to get education and you know the girls to pretty much ah uh, yeah you can study up to a certain time and then you get married and settle down in life and stuff so i am the eldest of three daughters and uh when i decided to study commerce i i told you i did my cost accountancy right and that was not a course at that time that many women actually opted for many girls opted for and i told my dad i wanted to you know to pursue that and he said okay and uh, you won't believe this but i was the only girl student in a class of 200 so it was me and 199 boys in the class wow for two years that's how uh, you know i did my uh, uh, you know graduation in Uh, accounts and then went on to do my cost accountancy so if you see you know the diversity in thought actually i believe came from my parents too right where they were willing to explore alternative opportunities for their children oh wow that's really dope uh, i can't imagine if for two years how was how was the how was class how was class during those two years <laughs> Because I'm originally from West Africa, Senegal, and um, although we're kind of considered progressive-ish, not that progressive, okay, um, it's still really interesting. Um, I am looking to, so I do, I do training and workshops in programmatic advertising, and so I'm looking to offer this, the training for free over there, my country, um, but I've had um so when i i talk about when i talk to some people about this opportunity they're like yeah great and then you'll get 50% of them saying well yeah but just make sure you're you you know you you respect cultural cultural um yeah things that we don't talk out loud the nuances and, yeah, yeah nuances thank you and but you know it's more like a man world and i'm like no it's not like some of my friends are all women you know I, i mean i have a lot of friends but the the women that i'm following on social media that are in the marketing field there and they're killing the game um you know they're doing really great so i think it's just like you said a perspective of of how and unfortunately it comes down from our parents it comes down from our our I think the 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 word in english is domestic like domestication how we were domesticated to think a certain way um because they didn't know better maybe or that was the norm so i really appreciate the fact that you share that cuz like that could have been a fun fact cuz i asked the question at the end like what are your fun facts but that could have been your fun fact maybe or your power fact um but that's really cool excellent yeah so kelly tell us about your perspective tell us about your value so I'll talk about my value in a minute, but I just wanted to build on something that Maya said when she was yeah, talking sure. about um, this 
statistic about women applying for jobs. Wow. And this is just something that I want to share because maybe other women can learn from it. So when we first started talking about the imposter syndrome, I don't know, like 15 years ago, I used to think, I don't understand. I don't feel this. Why don't I feel this? Everyone else feels this. And I thought, oh, maybe I'm just really confident. But now I realize I just never pushed myself out of my comfort zone. So I always applied for jobs that I could do. I always made sure that I could do 100% of whatever I was going to put myself forward for. So I would never feel like an imposter because I was always capable of it. And then in the past few years, I started to feel more like that, to feel the imposter zone, to feel like, oh, my God, should I really be doing this? What am I doing? Because I started to put myself forward with things that I don't know if I can do. And I started to say I can do things. I'm not sure I can. And I think that we have to stretch ourselves and challenge ourselves to grow. And if we continue to just do things that we know we can do, we don't develop in the same way. So that's just a little learning that I've really seen in myself, you know, which comes with wisdom, which comes with age, which comes with being in your 40s and being able to have the benefit of hindsight to reflect. But yeah. I wish I'd realised that in my early 30s because but, perhaps my career would have developed differently. Okay. <laughs> so I don't think I don't think they heard you because you said you always applied for jobs that you were comfortable in and so that's why you thought you cannot relate to something that is really common in women and men of course but maybe women Mm -hmm. imposter syndrome and I think that is a powerful thing and I want people to hear and watch us that like there is power in recognizing your comfort zone but growth only happens in uncomfort zone so like I, I just wanted to like put that into perspective for the listeners because like you said earlier Maya like people are usually if you check all the box usually women apply and the reason why, the reason why I only I always apply with only one box that I checked is because it was a very unfair uh thing like it was very unfair the way the jobs were right you were yeah. supposed to have a college degree uh, a gold medal have gone to the moon at least twice in your life have five years experience and get paid entry level I'm like what the heck <laughs> so I had to fake it on my resume until I made it and then I leveraged LinkedIn and then most of my jobs I found via LinkedIn actually but yeah so I think it's really great but yeah get back going back to Kelly thank you for sharing no you're an absolute inspiration I mean you know, <laughs> I've only been listening to you for a short time and it's incredible and um, so my journey to DEI is I've always felt really strongly about equality. Only recently have I understood what equity is, but I've always felt that we're, we should all have the same rights, we're the same. And it was something that came to me quite when I was a teenager and I was involved in some committees at university, but not that actively. And it was when I um, joined Microsoft, I had the real chance to kind of express my desire to help women at work. And I joined the Women at Microsoft Global Board, I set up a, a London branch of Women at Microsoft, I co-founded a women's network for digital advertising, which was called Dawn in the UK, we ran for 10 years, which is amazing, we were a pandemic casualty. Nice. But also, I, I really want to help all women work, and I volunteered to help um, 
women who are returning to work after maternity leave because I feel like that's a key time when women struggle. Yeah. And then when I started to think about equity, I started to think um, I'm really helping lots of women like me. How can I help women of all backgrounds and all socioeconomic levels? And that's kind of where I'm now going to try to start focus. So thinking about how do I support more women of colour, volunteering with organisations that are trying to, volunteering my data protection skills with organisations who are trying to develop and grow and get more women of colour into our industry um, and thinking about um, it from that perspective. I also recently volunteered at work to become the chair of um, RISE, which is Mrs. DI initiative. And I hope that that will help me learn and grow as well and learn from others about kind of their perspectives on DEI from not from my perspective, very much from a heterosexual gender, you know, woman's perspective, as opposed to knowing the experience of all different groups that are marginalized. Yeah, isn't that BS that um, when I, re- I, I think it's BS mm-hmm. when um, I will see recruiters online or people in hiring position, you know, the hire, hire yeah. manager. Uh, always question when a woman had a woman had to take a, a year off, yeah, and hold it against them. Like, have you obviously? You, first of all, you've maybe you don't have a mom. Have you seen how hardworking moms are? Like, yeah, it is the hard. It's the toughest job in the world to take yeah. care of another little human that just wants to feed off of you most of the time, and it's okay because they're cute, right? They give kisses and stuff. But um, like my husband. He quit his job to um, to help support my business. So two and a half years ago, I went business. I started my consulting firm, our media activation and training workshops. And so he started helping me in my business. So most Amazing. of the day, he helps. He helps with Jade. He takes care of my daughter and me. Like sometimes I like to joke on the podcast. I think I'm sure the <laughs> listener is like tired of hearing it. But sometimes like he'll come with a plate of eggs, like an omelet, and he'll just slide it onto my desk because the door is this way and then uh, close it back and I'm like he's just feeding the beast right now <laughs> I should come out of the office at least to give hugs but um but he had to travel you know he's a real estate investor so his schedule is more flexible now yeah. but gosh he had to travel for like three days in a row what was it in January and I was like what is this people do this yeah, I adore my kid. I want to spend as much time with her. But when she takes naps, I'm like, yo, this is this is living the life. Naps when they take naps and you're quiet and you're not chasing them. Uh, she's only she's turning two next month, so you know. Yeah. Like, and you love them. You love them more, right? I love them when they're asleep. So yeah, true. So, so Ellen, I have a bad news for you. They uh, dropped the nap. It's a really, really terrible day, but one day they drop the nap and yeah. you're like, oh my God, how many hours until bedtime? <laughs> Why? Why? But did they, did they t- I'm assuming by that time they're out of diapers and they talk clearly, right? Like, no. <laughs> Mine were two and a half. <laughs> yeah, the serious point, your serious point is, Mm-hmm. Having children impacts us all differently. It totally depends on our support yeah. network, our hormones, the kind of pregnancy we had, the kind of child we gave birth to. And for recruiters and employers, and I'm not, you know, my employer is very, very empathetic, but 
they need to understand that this is a massive stage in our lives. It's hugely important. And for some people, they will take a career break because that's the right thing for them. And maybe it's not the right thing for the recruiter. But because you put your family above your career, doesn't make you a bad person. It just means you've made a different choice. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I had to hire a virtual assistant to help me, you know, with the back end things. And I had I, I hired her She's when she was six months pregnant. And now she's coming to terms really quickly. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm not ready to not live with her. Like, what's going to happen to me? But like, I don't care. She says she wants to take a few times off. I'm like, take as long as you want. Like, whenever you're ready, it's fine. You know, I'll find a way to fill in the blanks. But just just take times for yourself. And and I love that because she's great. She is skilled. She is skipping me all my legs. I've never heard like I've never I love the fact that she tells me what to do. Like she's like, listen, no sis. Mm-mm. You gotta stay focused. This is where we're gonna talk about the task at hand is this, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she's really good at what she does. And so it always goes back to saying, like, that is crazy. There are so many women out there that have to put themselves I don't know how to properly say it, so I'm going to say it, okay? So don't get offended, anybody that's listening to this. But they have to put themselves, like, lower because they know they had to take some time off, extended time off, to take care of a child or to take care of their parents, like older parents, for instance. And I think it's crazy. Like, I feel like you develop such a great skill by taking care of a life. (laughs) And anyway, it's crazy. It's crazy. And it's really sad. So And, uh... This thing which, you know, they face when they want to come back to work, uh, you know, the initial challenge that they face as to, you know, the the familiar question, oh, why did you take a break? Oh, okay. So you've had a two-year break. So it's almost like an expectation that you're going to join, uh, you know, somewhere where you would have been two years back and not two years ahead, right? So it also, I think, think over a period, you know, undermines their confidence um, so in India, again, I work with a couple of platforms. They're called, you know, Her Second Innings. Uh, there's one called Jobs for Her. So they completely focus on, you know, mentoring such, uh, you know, women who want to come back after a career break, right? How do you, you know, really get back into, uh, you know, whether you like it or not? It is a rat race, right? How do you get yeah. back into the race? Uh, yeah. You know, how do you kind of, you know, match up uh, to everyone? Uh, you know, are you upskilling yourself constantly so that you don't get left behind? I think mm-hmm. that's something which all of us at some time in life have experienced, right? Yeah, so. yeah. it's it's very interesting. It's a very interesting perspective. And I think I think it's a good segue into um, the next topic of discussion about mentoring and the importance of mentoring. And so I want to give a shout out to the Women Programmatic Network that put us together. Um, so I want to hear about, let's talk about them. Let's talk about your experience so far in the group. Uh, what made you join? Why did you join? Why do you think this type of network is so important? You know, Kelly, how about you? You lead the way this time. So I I joined the network because I saw lots of activity um, yeah. online. And um, I actually initially just volunteered to do their privacy policy for them because, as I said, I'm volunteering my skills trying to, you know, see how can I actually actively be an ally? Like, how can I ally better? And um, so I I volunteered to do the privacy policy and then I joined the WhatsApp group. And 
I love the community. I love the support. I love the fact it's global as well. So, like, I would never normally have met yourself, Ellen, or Maya in my day-to-day Real. life, especially since I'm working from home. So unless you're in my house, I'm very unlikely to meet you. <laughs> but, <laughs> that is you know, so like, I, so true at the moment. Like, but I've really grown. I don't know about you, Maya, but I've really grown my network in lockdown. I've joined another group called DLL, Digital Leading Ladies. It's just a, a sort of a UK-based, mainly UK-based group. And I suddenly have this incredible network. And that is like the something I would say to women who are having a career break, try not to let your network die because mm. forget about reading industry Good. press, everything changes, especially in programmatic. What you read two years ago is no relevance to what's happening now. So if there's one thing you can do while you're, you're on a while you're on parental leave or a career break, try and keep in touch with some people that you liked working with. Because if you then want to come back into the industry, you've already you've still got those relationships. You're not trying to build them from scratch. Um, so I think that's a really key thing. I don't know, Maya, how have you found your networks in terms of lockdown and the Women in Programmatic Network? Yeah. So, yeah, you know, I'm part of quite a few networks on LinkedIn uh, primarily, right, during lockdown. And interestingly, how did I get into Women in Programmatic Network? Yeah. Uh, I think. I'm probably the only person in that group from India, okay, uh, from the other side of the world. So uh, Nikki, who is, you know, Nikki Chana, who's one of the uh, founders uh, of the group, uh, we, I work with her because, you know, IOTA is our data partner. So that's how, you know, we kind of got talking. Uh, I came to know that, you know, there is this network called Women in Programmatic. And I went ahead and, you know, signed up for it. And um, like Kelly mentioned, you know, the WhatsApp group is so uh, vibrant. It's vibrant, right? And honestly, uh, would I have actually met so many diverse people from, you know, different, um, you know, uh, industries, programmatic per se, but then, you know, some are on the supply side, some on the demand side, some working in data privacy. and really broadens your horizon so much and uh, it's a lot of learning right so today actually uh, you know i've been talking to sophie and uh, there's a regional head for uh, australia they recently opened the australia chapter right. and having some discussions on you know uh, should we open an uh, india chapter right so that uh, we can you know definitely in terms of programmatic if you see the us uh, the you know US, Europe, uh, UK, uh, Australia, they're much, much more evolved than a lot of the Southeast Asian countries uh, as well as India, right? So how do, uh, you know, my objective or my intent was really, you know, how do I get uh, people in the programmatic space in India and in, you know, some parts of Asia, how do I get them more networked? How do I, you know, help uh, upskill them, right? Uh, so like this week, I think we're having a session on you know Google Ad Manager with somebody's volunteering to do. And I was like, you know, quite excited to know about it. Uh, so I think networking is very, very important uh, for you not only to succeed in your career, uh, but also to get a very, very broad perspective of things and um, you know, just to learn more. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I think also, I think it goes back to mentoring too. Like you get to develop partnerships 
almost with these these women, specifically in the Women in Programmatic Network, like with this with these women, but for anybody listening, for any men listening, for anyone listening, um, non-binary folks, I think that what we're saying is that I think it's an underrated thing to network. Um, I see so much value in networking, and most people are just like, oh, oh, you know, pushing it to the side. It's not a priority. But if you're growing in your career and you constantly want, it's like both Maya, I don't know if anybody caught, that was another stop, stop the drop moment that I should have stopped drop moment. But both Maya and Kelly said, I'm always learning. And the best way to learn is by experiencing it hands on with somebody else, learning from their mistakes and not re-implementing it. And yes, sometimes it's just that. It's just finding a few people that Maybe you, you inspi- that inspires you or you want to be like them. I don't know, whatever you want to do, right? But like really study their success and their opportunities and challenges in their career. I mean, that's the biggest thing. Even like in financial, I mean, I, there's an accounting here, she can tell us. But even in financial management education, like we study like models of things that are working or not working, even in stock trading in the U.S. that that is, they're talking about companies, what is working and not working. So we're learning this experience from people. So why are we not, why are we not doing it from a human base, right? Why are we not learning from somebody on LinkedIn? And we have so much networks that are free that we can leverage. I've mentioned LinkedIn, the Women uh, Programmatic Network. And if you're a man, you're like, yo, this is cool. There's way to help support uh, mm-hmm. the women in programmatic network. So don't be afraid of just being that, that person to stand up and say, help me pull them up with me or help me mm-hmm. open more doors for them. So I think it's, it's like no other best way to end the, the conversation because like you guys have dropped so much bomb, like so much gel, gems on the podcast. And I think it's great. And I appreciate you guys for uh, sharing that. But I do want to say, what are your top three advice when it comes to networking, finding a mentor or mentoring? Because again, if you want to learn something, you got to teach it. So what are your top three things that you would want somebody to remember at the end of the podcast? If they have to stop right now, what are those three things you want to tell them? Yeah. So I would say, you know what, um, the top most thing is networking is important. Uh, create it creates visibility for yourself, and it also helps you to create visibility for other women that you want to, you know, scale up along with you. Okay, so that's I think key. Uh, second, you know, constantly upskill yourself. So you know, right. the world is ever changing. Uh, and you know what technology you know and with technology right what is relevant today may not really be relevant tomorrow so unless you are constantly upskilling yourself and staying ahead of the game it's you know obviously uh, a tough uh, race for survival right Uh, and third I think you know be grounded be down to earth I mean you have achieved um, you know, a lot in life. You could have, you know, you have a fancy designation. You may be doing a lot, but then how do you, you know, constantly stay grounded and tell yourself that there are many more leaders that you want to build like yourselves. 
need to change the world you want to see in the world. Yeah. Well, how about yeah. you, Kelly? That's so powerful, Maya. Um, so if I'm going to convince someone why they need their network, my top three things would be, um, I found some brilliant, uh, almost like one-off mentors through my network. So I have a challenge. I see someone every day battling the same challenge or has overcome it. And I'll just say to them, could I have half an hour with you because you seem to be really, really good at this. So let me buy you your up. coffee. Let me just yeah. Can I buy your coffee? Yeah. Can I do one to one? I'm really struggling with juggling, and you seem to have it nailed. Can I just catch up with you? I've found that my networks in the past two years have been amazing at helping lift me up when I'm feeling down. Um, so like you know, reaching out and saying I'm having a bad day, or does anyone struggle with this issue? And then kind of really being there. I mean fun and friendship and sharing like but you know I was having a really bad week and I sort of end up blurting it out in the women programmatic network whatsapp group don't really know these women that well and immediately people had like podcasts I should listen to or words of wisdom and it really really helped me and then finally if someone still doesn't read me the last I think the last well in fact since the last 18 years all the jobs I've got because the initial introduction was through someone I knew yep. through my networks. Yeah. Um, and at the moment, we're in this incredible, buoyant job economy, but we won't be in it forever. And that is, I think, why that networks are really helpful. That is super powerful. Yeah, most of my business have been referrals from the network that I've built over the years and uh, over the podcast. So be a content creator. Start that blog. Mm-hmm. Who cares? Start that blog. It doesn't have to be perfect. Start a vlog, which is video lot of blog or a podcast. Podcast is super easy. You just record your voice and then put it on the internet. And somebody refers, you know, listens to you. <laughs> it's, 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 it's how easy it is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just throw it out there. Um, but every everything, like I always say that you're here for a bigger purpose and that our jobs is actually not part of our identity, even though it influences it so much in that moment. And so you want to be able to give back. You want to be able to give give back to your network and your network is going to pour into you. So it's not only about tick, 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 but you have to give back. And so thank you. Thank you, ladies, for, for dropping by. I think this was such a great uh, experience. Um, we won't have time for the closing, um, the closing talks, but I do want to ask this last question. So if you had to give yourself an advice, uh, or your freshman self or your younger self starting in the industry and advice of something you learned or some a wisdom, what would it be? So like, what would you want her to know that you probably did not know when you started, but you know now? Whoever wants to start. <laughs> oh, I can go straight away. But I think uh, one of the things I said earlier about push yourself out of your comfort zone. Mm. Tell everyone what you do. Mm-hmm. It's um, It's not... It's something I've got good at, but um, self-promotion is really important because if you don't know what you're good at and you aren't prepared to tell anyone what you're good at, then why would anyone else be able to do that? I do. I don't mean completely blowing your own trumpet, but you know, when when your boss stops by your desk and says, "How are you?" They, they kind of want to know how you are, but they also want to know, like, is there something that you've been doing that's really helpful for me today? So yeah, that's that good. would be what I tell myself. Mm, that's good. How about you, Maya? Yeah, I think uh, to my younger self, I would probably say, you know, maybe uh, if I had had more of pre- professional networking, 
if I had done more of professional networking earlier, um, I don't know if I've really lost out so much on it, but, um, you know, probably your learnings also would be, you know, uh, faster. Mm -hmm. uh, when we are younger in our career, we are so focused on the job at hand that we spend kind of 90% of our time, I would say, on that, right? And you hardly think, you know, what should I do in terms of interacting with the world outside? Uh, it's only as you scale up in your career that you start, you know, becoming part of these networks or, you know, trying to find more um, you know, diverse people in the professional space. And of course, also with the advent of LinkedIn, right? We are, you know, when I was much younger, we didn't have LinkedIn. <laughs> so, yeah, so I think that is something which I would, uh, you know, uh, leave back as advice uh, for my younger version or, you know, anyone who's in that uh, stage of their starting, career. Starting, level starting. Yeah. Yeah. Those are yeah. great advice. And I do want to... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I just got one more, which would have yeah. worked for myself and my FR questions house. By Google, by Amazon, by Facebook. <laughs> by those stocks. Because we know that our day-to-day -day job already consume us so much that it's okay to set ourselves up in our future for success by investing in passive income. So yes. I think that's super important and that you can start at any level, any education yeah. level in your life by looking at passive income and buying stocks is a good uh, option. Yeah. And there's so much YouTube videos on YouTube University that you could probably find some great information to start on. Of course, I'm not a, an a, what not is advisor. advisor. Not a financial advisor. I'm a financial advisor. Um, however, it worked for me. And to go back to networking, I was referred by financial advisors that for so much content that I learned through them as well. So tap into your yeah. network. And in Maya said that we spend so much time at work, but I pulled this stat uh, for a presentation. I was doing a workshop for uh, in January and. I pulled this presentation to, and it said one third, I mean, Americans spend one third of their time at, at, at work. 33% of your whole life is spent at work. A whole 33%. That is crazy. When I read that, I was like, only? And then I started making the math like, oh, well, you're sleeping at least six mm -hmm. hours a day. And then that's that. That was like a whole day almost. If you think mm -hmm. about it. So, so yeah. So take that, the advice of these there's um these amazing ladies invest in yourself invest, invest also in passive income make sure you're tapping into your network make sure you pour as much as you're you give as much as you're you're taking and um consider joining a network the women programmatic network is a good start for any network i mean linkedin does it really really easy for us right so okay so if anybody have more questions and want to reach out to you individually how can they do so so kelly how can they reach out to you they can reach out to me on LinkedIn. I am the only Kelly Jacobson Collins. Um, okay. I also have a website, um, kellyjacobsoncollins.com, if you want to reach out to me that way. Um, so, yeah, that would be the best way to get in touch. Okay. What about you, Maya? 
Yeah, they can reach out to me on LinkedIn, uh, Maya Venkatesh. Uh, I think I'm again the only Maya Venkatesh there. Uh, or they could, uh, you know, yeah, that's the best way, I guess, uh, to connect with me and kind of get the conversations going. That is awesome. Well, um, both of your information will be in the show notes and the description of the podcast here and on YouTube and all our social media. So you guys can definitely go. And if you don't want to connect with them right away, you can follow and still get be able to tap into their content and to their network. Um, but eventually it'll be nice to say hi and say, hey, I heard you on the podcast. Really like this. Can we can we uh, can we connect? But thank you. Thank you so much for dropping by. This was great. Thank you. Thanks so much, Kelly. Yeah, it was a nice experience to be on this podcast. And uh, it was so lovely chatting up with Kelly and uh, Helen, both of you. And uh, yeah, I look forward to catching up with you guys again. Thanks so much, Helen, for doing this podcast with us. (laughs) Thank you.